When the people saw that Moses delayed in coming down from the mountain, they gathered around Aaron and said to him, Come, make us a God who will go before us, because this Moses, the man who brought us up from the land of Egypt, we don't know what has happened to him. Then Aaron replied to them, Take off the gold rings that are on your ears of your wives, your sons and your daughters, and bring them to me. So all the people took off their gold rings that were on their ears and bore them to Aaron. He took the gold from their hands, fashioned it with an engraving tool, and made it into the image of a calf. Then they said, Israel, this is your God who brought you up from the land of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it. Then he made an announcement, there will be a festival to the Lord tomorrow. Early the next morning, they arose, offered burnt offerings, and presented fellowship offerings. The people sat down to eat and drink, then got up to play. The Lord spoke to Moses, Go down at once, for your people you brought up from the land of Egypt have acted corruptly. They have quickly turned from the way I commanded them. They have made for themselves an image of a calf. They have bowed down to it, sacrificed to it, and said, Israel, this is your God who brought you up from the land of Egypt. The Lord also said to Moses, I have seen this people, and they are indeed a stiff-necked people. Now leave me alone so that my anger can burn against them and I can destroy them. Then I will make you into a great nation. Now, the second reading comes from page 1056, um, and it's beginning from chapter 10. Now, I want you to know, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud all passed through the sea, and all were baptised into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. They all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from a spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. But God was not pleased with most of them, for they were struck down in the wilderness. Now, these things became examples for us, so that we will not desire evil things as they did. Don't become idolaters as some of them were, as it is written that people sat down to eat and drink and got up to play. Let us not commit sexual immorality as some of them did, and in a single day 23,000 people fell dead. Let us not test Christ as some of them did and were destroyed by snakes, nor should we we complain as some of them did, and were killed by the destroyer. Now these things happened to them as examples, and they were written as a warning to us on whom the ends of the ages have come. This is the word of God. Yeah, as I said, if I haven't met you, my name's um, Andy, and I've just started here at church. It's been great to meet a few of you, still meeting everyone, um, but just started studying, so 
Uh, pleasure to be here and be looking at 1 Corinthians 10. I might just pray quickly. Um, Father God, as your people, we are weak. Uh, I feel weak now, uh, but Lord, we know that who you are. You are strong. Your word speaks mightily through us. Uh, your, your word speaks to us. Your spirit lays it upon our hearts. And we just pray that as we uh, read and hear from your word now, you might do this. We pray that we would not be hardened to it, but that we would listen. In Jesus' name, amen. So in, in the book, uh, David and Goliath by Malcolm Gladwell, has anyone read that book? Uh, he, speaks, you know, he speaks of a group of survivors from World War II uh, that, that were living in London. Now, these survivors, um, they were in London when all the bombings came. And the survivors didn't get blown up, obviously, because they were survivors. But he talks about their attitude as just been a really strange attitude. See, they kind of, as each kind of bombing came, they developed this confidence that they would be okay. They, they developed this confidence as each round came through and blew up people that it wasn't going to happen to them. Uh, they started to think that they were invincible. I mean, no one at the time thought that they would respond this way. They thought it'd just be riots in London and people would just be running everywhere. But there's this strange attitude kind of developed. I uh, See, although they were in great danger um, living in London with these bombings, they had this false sense of security. They have a confidence that they would be okay. Now, this is what Paul wants to remind us today in the Christian life. He wants to remind you that don't develop a false sense of security. Look at verse 12 with me in your Bible there. Verse 12. See, whoever thinks he stands must be careful not to fall. Whoever thinks he stands must be careful not to fall. See, if you are here today and you think you are standing firm, if you think there's, there's nothing in the world, there's no dangers or temptations uh, that would ever take you away from Christ, listen to these words today. Hear the warning. Now, Paul kind of wants us and takes us through this warning through kind of three different ways. I've got a three-point kind of sermon, and I don't know, maybe they teach us that at college. But anyway, there's three things. First thing, learn from Israel's mistakes uh, and don't presume upon God. Secondly, live for God alone and flee from idolatry. And thirdly, live for the good of others and stop being so selfish. So firstly, he wants us to learn from Israel's mistakes and not to presume upon God. So we'll read verse 1 to 5 again. Read it with me. Now I want you to know, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud, all passed through the sea, and were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. They all ate the same spiritual food, and all drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that, was, that followed them, and that rock was Christ. But God was not pleased with most of them, for they were struck down in the wilderness." See, in verses 1 to 4, he's explaining that extraordinary experience of the nation Israel. The the experience that they were in Egypt under the slavery of Pharaoh, and God brought them out through the Red Sea. Uh, God had led them via the clouds. Uh, They passed through the sea. 
that he provided food and water in the wilderness. See, for Israel, this was a real spiritual experience for all of them. One in which they were in slavery and now they're in freedom. Uh, it was, we kinda, he kind of points out that they all experienced this. Four times we're told you know, that they, it was a shared experience. It was all of them. But the point he makes kind of comes in verse 5 where he kind of cr- contrasts that all with the most. Did you pick that up? Verse 5. But God was not pleased with most of them, for they were struck down in the wilderness. See, all had shared this amazing experience under God's hand uh, in the Exodus, yet most, most of them didn't make it out of the wilderness. Most of them were killed, were scattered across the wilderness. There's actually only two people that made it into the promised land. See, although they had this extraordinary experience, they drifted away from God and they'd come under God's judgment. See, what's your attitude now? You know, have you had a wonderful and extraordinary experience from God um, in the past? Are you presuming that from now on everything's going to be okay? You know, it's still possible for you to drift away from God. Hear this warning. Be aware of the, the real dangers. Now, Paul, he kind of twice, he really wants us to learn from Israel's mistakes. Uh, I mean, it's, it's a natural and good thing to learn from your own mistakes, isn't it? I, mean, I remember when um, my wife was having her first child. I was at work, working as an engineer, and the deadline was looming. Um, you know, I had this massive job that had to get done at the same time. I got the call in the morning. Uh, she's like, my waters have broke, and I've got to go into hospital. Um, can you come in with me? And I was on the phone, and I'm kind of trying to... I was, saying to her, oh, <laughs> look, we've got this big deadline coming and I, I want to be, kind of get this finished so that when it comes, we'll have time together. And uh, so I kind of told her that and hung up the phone. And then the guy sitting next to me, he kind of looks across at me and he's just like, what are you doing? <laughs> and I kind of get, I look at him and I'm like, you're right. So anyway, I caught up. Anyway, second child i was there right i'd learnt from my mistake but the point here is he's he he wants the corinthians to learn from israel's mistakes um it's something that they've got to learn he tells us it twice verse 6 and verse 11 have a look at verse 11 with us with me now these things happen to them as examples and they were written as warnings to us on whom the ends of the ages have come so these things they're for us they're warnings. Listen. Listen to these warnings. What did Israel do? Like, why wasn't God so, why wasn't he pleased with them? He tells us, verse 6, they desired evil things. And then in verses 7 to 10, he kind of gives them four concrete examples of what they did as a nation in turning away from God. They were idolaters. They were sexually immorally, immoral. They tested Christ and they complained. See, these are all examples that led to God's judgment. Now, I just want to have a look at the idolatry one. So verse 7, uh, read that with me. Don't become idolaters as some of them were. As is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and got up to play. Now, this is referring um, to the golden calf you know, account that we had read earlier. And as you read through the story in Exodus... You'd just be astounded, I think, of what they did and their actions. Uh, 
Because three weeks prior to them making a calf, um, where Exodus 20, they had Moses up on a mountain again, and he'd come down with the Ten Commandments. And in the Ten Commandments, you'll be aware, uh, it says you have to, are to have no other gods beside me, and you are to have no other forms of gods beside me. In three weeks, three weeks later, they are acting in direct contradiction to what they agreed earlier. To Israel, they drifted. And consequently, they'd fallen under God's judgment. For Israel, idolatry was a problem. And the Corinthians, they're in the same danger. And like Israel, the big problem for the Corinthians is that they don't even know it. See, they think they're okay. They think they're all good. They think everything's going to be fine. Um, in verses 14 and following, Paul kind of explicitly warns them of the danger they're in. And he tells them to flee, flee from idolatry. So it's point two. Uh, Paul wants us to live for God alone and flee from idolatry. And it's idolatry. So if, if I were to ask you, you know, if you struggle with idolatry, you know, or perhaps are you an idol worshipper, what would you say? Uh, like, I suspect if someone asked me, I'd be like, eh, I don't think so. Like, I haven't really been participating in any feasts, which, you know, of worshipping an idol. I haven't made any golden calves lately and bowed down to them. Um, you know, you'd just be kind of thinking, no, it's, it's okay. But when, you know, like, we, we are like Israel. You know, we're in that danger too. And when we think about idolatry, in the Bible, it's much more than just statues and calves and kind of these images or incense on your wall. It's actually far deeper than that. Um, see, the, in the Bible, it talks about idolatry as anything that takes the affections of your heart away from God. Anything. So it's living for other things other than God. The specific example we've got for the Corinthians was a, they were eating meals in, in this kind of sacrificial worship style, and I was hooking into feasts, right? And it was like, in their culture, everyone did it. It was what you kind of did for a party and a good time. And you would have gone along and just enjoyed it. Um, now, their specific example, it's a, it's a hard question. Like, what's wrong with that? Like, the Corinthians know it's just food. Um, you know, it's, what's in it? It's just food. Um, but Paul says, well, the issue isn't in what you're eating, but it's in the participating in this worship. So read um, verse 18 and following with me. Look at the people of Israel. Do not those who eat the sacrifices participate in what is offered on the altar? What am I saying then? That food offered to idols is anything or that an idol is anything? No. But I do say that what they sacrifice, they sacrifice to demons and not to God. I do not want you to participate with demons. So is this participating, is this sharing or joining in these meals that was the problem for Paul? He's saying you're kind of engaging with them in this worship of this false god, this false deity. Uh, And he he says to them, you've got to stop. You can't do that. Um, You can't be sharing in God's table, in the fellowship with God, and sharing or participating in this worship of idols. They're mutually exclusive. They can't go together. Verse 21, 
You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot share in the Lord's table and the table of demons. Now, we kind of get this, don't we? I feel like, so the example, you know, the African pastor who opens the word and preaches the Bible on the weekend, but throughout the week, he's like the witch doctor, like everyone comes to him and he's the witchcraft doctor. Uh, And you think, that's just crazy. (laughs) There's no way those two can go together. It, It just doesn't really work. But it's, I think the issue that we all have is we can see it in the other culture, but it's really hard to kind of pin our own idols in our own culture. See, I found it really hard. I read 1 Corinthians like, I don't I mean, I'm, this is, just seems so far from me. Idolatry worship? But friends, we're so immersed in a culture... It's a part of who we are, what we do, how we relate, you know, how we have fun. That it just means that we end up being blind to its effect and influence on us. See, we may not be making, you know, cows or feasts, but what are the things that you and I participate in? What are the things that we share in where we, we may be worshipping false gods and the demonic See, what are those blind spots for us? Yeah, so as I said, I found it hard, and it took a long time, and I've got a couple of ideas. <laughs> One of them, and it feels a little bit cliche saying it, but materialism and wealth. I reckon we see this when you kind of go to another country and you come back and you get that reverse culture shock, and you, um, you know, you're like, whoa, I got this. I went to India at the beginning of last year. And I remember coming back just feeling overwhelmed by how much stuff we had, how much wealth we had. Um, and not just wealth, but we, we've got hospitals, we've got all these, you know, all these things which are good gifts from God. But I just felt, wow, this is just part of the culture we're in. And it just seems normal until you kind of get out of it and then come back. See, I wonder... If the Apostle Paul were to come to us here, Sydney, Australia, I think he'd remind us of the Lord Jesus' words, wouldn't he? In Matt 6, 24. You're probably familiar with them. He says, No one can be a slave of two masters, since he either will hate one and love the other, or be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot be a slave of God and money. So I don't think it's that these gifts from God are bad in and of themselves. It's just that whether we treasure them or worship them over God. So I think there's a, there's a deeper kind of problem and challenge here. See, what is it? What if you guys, what if we were to lose everything? Like Job in the Bible. What would your reaction be? What if you were to lose your job, your career, your family, your health? Would you cope? I mean, would you still have joy? Would you have meaning in life and security? If you're a follower of Jesus, maybe you, you, know, you, had, you, you still got Jesus and you still have that joy and that thankfulness for his blood and sacrifice. See, if, 
in Jesus, God is enough for you? Or would you find that you've actually, when you think about yourself, perhaps maybe I would lose part of those meaning and significance and joy. Maybe you are finding those things in the gifts of God and not in God himself. That's tough, isn't it? What about other blind spots? What, I mean, um, we live in kind of this age of self-reliance. Um, I'm, you know, I have and can do kind of all I want. Uh, I don't need anyone else. Um, I reckon we see this. I, I used to go out a fair bit uh, and talk to people and trying to tell them about their need for Jesus. And the conversation, they'd always say, what do I need Jesus for? You know, look at me. I've, I've got a job. I've got a house. I've got family. I don't need Jesus. And the conversation would kind of go, you, I'd end up trying to convince them that they had this need, um, you know, that they somehow didn't have everything. See, we're kind of self-made people. We've got all these good blessings, but it makes us blind, doesn't it? We think that we have everything. I mean, the heart of Christianity is about a dependence. It's about relying on Jesus for everything that he gives so I think it affects our attitude at church as well. We, um, we kind of want to keep this facade of having all our stuff together. Um, and so we won't be open and honest if we're struggling. Uh, it might prevent us from sharing our failures. We need to kind of be aware of this kind of culture of the self-made, got all your stuff together person. I reckon there's a bunch of other things that you could probably think about that our culture just so has its grip on us that we, um, we don't even realise. I reckon it would be helpful for us to chat about that and I'm keen for you to come and talk to me. But I want to keep moving through. Um, the third thing, so that's the second The third thing um, Paul wants us to do in the Corinthians is to just stop thinking about ourselves and live for others. See, the Corinthians, they got it all wrong, um, they, they were just thinking about themselves and they weren't considering the other. Um, read 23, verses 23 and 24 with me. Everything is permissible, but not everything is helpful. Everything is permissible, but not everything builds up. No one should seek his own good, but the good of the other person. See, the, the dangers are there and they're very real. And it matters not only how we are going individually, but it also matters how others around us are going. That's what the kind of the basis of verses 25 to 30 are about. So the question in there isn't how is this thing for you, but rather how does what I say, what I do, how I behave affect the other? How does it affect those around me? Now, I was chatting to a guy this morning, actually, about... Uh, he went to a trip to Bali, came back, and, you know, he bought a souvenir, just a timber kind of souvenir, had it in his wall at home. Um, and his mother-in-law came over, and he was like, he, she kind of questioned him. He said, why do you have an idol in your house? And he was like, he said to me this morning, he's like, I just, you know, it's just a piece of wood to me. Um, it's not an idol at all. And then he just left it. Like, he didn't remove or leave it that. But see, this is exactly the point that Paul is making here. Even if you don't personally struggle with it, we need to be aware and consider of the others around us. 
So I reckon this guy clearly wasn't thinking about anyone else here. I think we kind of have this spot, this blind spot for ourselves in Australia. See, we're so kind of isolated and individualistic in our thinking, in our frame. We don't kind of have that kind of family or community sense of our thinking. Um, My sister-in-law just got married to a guy from India, and he was saying to me the other day how how families work totally different in India to they do here on lots of levels. But he was saying how um, in Australia, you know, if someone kind of says something or does something that you think, oh, it's probably not quite right or it's a bit awkward or maybe they could do something differently, we don't really say anything about it. But in India, they've just got kind of open slather and so they really, you know, speak into each other's lives. There's so much so that he was saying for his brother who's got kids, he would often tell him, you know, oh, I think you're doing this wrong or why are you doing that? It doesn't really make sense. And, you know, as I'm hearing that, I'm kind of going, man, that would kind of be good, but wow, that'd be a bit full on. Um, but he was just kind of telling us how culturally we really don't speak truth into each other's lives. It's kind of, we've got our own kind of, you know, walls set up and it's, it's really hard for us to kind of speak and look out for the other. I think, you know, this is kind of part of Christian community as well. Um, I mean, as Christians, we have this wonderful blessing of sharing in the blood of Jesus. We're partakers in his death and resurrection. And that kind of unites us. That means that as we're united to, to Jesus, we're united to each other. And God has given us each other to look out for each other. Um, I think we just need to learn how to get better at speaking the truth into each other's lives. Um, now, how, how do you do this? It's a hard question, isn't it? I've got three ideas. Um, one, we kind of need to be willing to speak. Two, we need to be willing to listen. And three, we, I think we should start small <laughs> on this. Like, don't kind of go for the major issue because then everything's just going to blow up. You, you kind of want to start small and then as the culture changes, then we can start speaking truths and we can help each other uh, in this. Now, this kind of happened to me uh, a couple of weeks ago. Um, Ed, who's a student minister from the 945 service, he, he saw me riding my bike. I was running late for the train and I, on King Street in Newtown and I just went straight through a red light. It just gone red. And, uh, you know, there's no cars. It's just a people cross, pedestrian crossing. Uh, and I was like, oh, look, I'm justified at, you know, I'm going through it. Anyway, he kind of, uh, it was probably a week later. He said, now, Bootsy, did I see you, you know, riding? And he kind of described me. And then and I'm kind of like, yeah, yeah, that's me, yeah. <laughs> and he's like, now, did you go through a red light? It was kind of like this, you know, smack. I was like, oh, I was like, yep, yep. And as he kind of was pointing this thing out, right, I, I, inside of me, like I, I think you can imagine, like I had all these kind of barriers and thoughts coming in my head. He's like, I'm like, who are you? Like, I didn't say this. But like, who are you to say that? Like, you know, what right do you have to speak into me? We only just met a couple of months ago, you know. You kind of need to earn this, Ed. You know, this is what I'm thinking. Yeah. Are you gonna, and then I was like, are you really going to pick something so small? Like, you know, it's, it's a little red light, yeah. And afterwards, I kind of I got it. I was, and I, I was thankful to him because, I mean, he gets it, right? He gets it. 
He gets the danger. We're all in. Uh, and he cared enough to speak into my life. Uh, even though he said he just felt really awkward about it. But he cared enough. It's going to be awkward as we do that. Um, so I reckon we need to care enough, but we also need to, as those questions come up in our own mind, when people speak into our lives, we need to aware of them and go, you know what, this person is probably just loving me. He, he, he probably wants my good. Uh, and to hear it and to listen to it. See, I've, why, do you, why is it that we find it so hard to hear anyone else's thoughts? Um, I, just, I just think we just, we don't like being wrong. We, we love kind of our own opinions. Um, but I think we just, we just want ourselves to be centre and idols, don't we? Like we're kind of, we've created our own idol of ourselves. Um, we've kind of put ourselves in the place of God. Now, as you kind of think through the idolatry in this world and idolatry around us and just how we're so a part of it in our blind spots, I think we're always going to struggle, struggle with it. And so we need to get good at hearing God's warnings, being willing to listen to his word and to listen to those he puts around us. I think we need to finish with the fact that God is the one who is faithful in all this. See, we need to think that the only way that you and I are ever going to be able to stand firm in our culture is to stand firm and trust in Jesus and in God who is faithful. So read verse 13 with me. It says, No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to humanity. God is faithful. And he will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. But with temptation, he will also provide a way of escape so that you are able to bear it. This is a great source of comfort to myself and to all believers who trust in Jesus. We trust in the goodness and the faithfulness of God. He is faithful. We need to hear his warning and live for God alone and help each other do this. See, God, he's rescued us and brought us out of the dominion of sin from the devil and his guilt and shame that's on us at an enormous price of his only son. See, we share in the blood of Jesus. We share in the forgiveness of our Lord Jesus, forgiveness for every past and present and future sin. It's just a wonderful thing, isn't it, to be able to trust in God's goodness and faithfulness to us. Uh, In response... We're going to pray, kind of a prayer of confession, so it should be coming up on the screen.